Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And this is Tim Grady. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we have an exciting show today because... We're going to be talking about innovation in manufacturing, which is a lot of what we talk about on Manufacturing Talk Radio. But what excites me is that our guest has a background in avionics from the Air Force during multiple Apollo missions. So, Lou, I'm excited to talk to Jerry Ward. He'll be with us in just a moment about some of the neat stuff he must have done then and the cool stuff he's doing now. Well, I'm kind of curious uh, if Jerry knew the uh, Wright boys uh, way back when, because they didn't have much in the way of avionics in those days. Yeah, so we'll, right. we'll we'll have to throw that question out to him. So let me so. introduce Jerry Ward, who's Vice President of Operations at, at the Atlanta-based Metcam, which is a leader in the manufacturing and metal fabrication industry, Lou, right up all metals in Forge Group's alley. That's the That's, sponsor of our show. Can I start selling him now about uh, steel forgings and so on? We'll have <laughs> to talk, right. Jerry. We'll have to talk Good. after the show. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jerry, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, you are the co-owner and vice president of operations at Metcam. I wonder if you can share with our audience a little bit about what Metcam is and does as the Georgia Manufacturer of the Year. Uh, correct. We are a custom sheet metal fabricator, uh, precision sheet metal, which is will step up from some of the black iron uh, and HVAC. We do uh, units for uh, some HVAC companies. Um, we do air filtration, all types of, uh, of different products, telecom. So uh, we've been doing that for quite a number of years, and we try to stay on the leading edge. Is this all uh, in regards to aerospace and uh, aircraft uh, manufacturing? Uh, we have done some aircraft uh, components in the past, but currently we're not in that market. Uh, we do uh, also we do fire and safety uh, for the fire systems in big buildings and hotels, and we ship about mm -hmm. seventeen thousand units a year on that. So you're uh, sort of a contract machine shop in regards to sheet metal manufacturing. Correct. Exactly. Good. Okay. So um, let me let's get right to the heart of it because we do talk. Uh, to a lot of manufacturers, uh, Tim and I, uh, I, I have an all, I have a manufacturing company, metals manufacturing company, and we talk over the last five years with manufacturers such as yourself and many others, and we've talked about the trials, trials, tribulations, and triumphs that you all have uh, experienced. So let me start with the trials and tribulations. Because that seems to be, you know, the heart of what's going on in manufacturing today, i.e., skill gap, i.e., um, uh, equipment, and bringing in new digital uh, this, that, and the other thing. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that Metcam has had in regards to the trials, tribulations, 
skill gap and so on? Well, when we started the sheet metal business many years ago, um, we just had a, a few of us, and we had to farm out certain things like paint and silk screening and stuff. And as the uh, time went on, we realized we need to do that in-house. We need to control our own destiny. So uh, we went from no paint line in the 80s to now two paint lines. Um, we do our own silk screening and pad printing. The only thing that we send out of house to be done is um, the uh, uh, plating, electro electrolytic plating. Uh, some of the other things that we run across, we've always tried to stay on the leading edge of manufacturing, and uh, if you don't, then you're not going to be profitable. So we've, we've evolved over the years in technologies. Uh, we were the first sheet metal, custom sheet metal shop that owned a flexible manufacturing system, uh, punch and right angle shear, and that was quite amazing. Jerry, I'm just uh, curious, uh, you are dealing a lot with innovation in manufacturing. What have you found, and I'm, I'm sure there's a bit of it, to innovate at Metcamp? Oh, wow. Well, that's a, a real story. Um, since we bought our first flexible manufacturing system in 1986, then we later went with a laser flexible manufacturing system. And just about every piece of equipment that we purchase, we try to put as much automation on it because, uh, as Lou was saying earlier, uh, it's really difficult to get all the skills and talent, so we have to count on machinery um, because the skill set's just not there to, to get any longer, and there's not people really training for the old type of sheet metal. Um, so we've, uh, we've gone through, uh, from that flexible manufacturing system first on a punch then to a laser then we uh we bought three turret punches with automatic loading and unload uh just recently we did the last additions to our systems uh we bought two 6000 watt fiber lasers with automatic handling uh we purchased a panel bender our first and that's really been a a triumph for us. It's a real game changer. We have uh, 40,000 roughly big triangles that we form for HVAC, and we do all of those on that panel bender. And it, it was such a nightmare trying to do them on a press break and having to flip them, all the um, potential workman comps issues with these big triangles. So that just changed our, the whole ball game. And then the last piece of equipment we just purchased recently was automatic tool change press brake. And that just takes quantities of one as no-brainers. I mean, we'll run one instead of running extras, and we'll bend that one. And it's uh, unbelievable how many jobs with low volume can be done in a shift. Well, that's interesting, low volume. Uh, I... I uh... I'm always impressed with companies that can handle low volume economically because that's really the sweet spot for a lot of companies. Uh, you know, they the buyer only wants one five ten, not 
5,000, 50,000, which is the order everybody wants to book. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm glad that Metcam can do that. I am curious about how the transition went from rocket science to metal fabrication and tell us a little bit about the Apollo missions, Jerry. Okay. Uh, well, I was in the Air Force uh, during the Vietnam era, and after I did my tour in Thailand in 1967, I uh, repositioned to Patrick Air Force Base, uh, Florida, which is close to the Cape. All of the astronauts had their personal trainer aircraft there so they could go back and forth to Houston. And uh, we had a, a fleet of a uh, squadron of um, NKC-135s that had a big eight-foot diameter dish in them. They called them Snoopies back then. And uh, we would go out uh, position somewhere in the world for the Apollo missions. I was fortunate to be there from Apollo 7 through 12. And we would position so we'd fly over the ocean uh, and collect uh, information that the land tracking systems couldn't get. So we would fly over, and you know, when they'd go around, we'd get a couple of minutes' worth of data, and then the land tracking would pick them back up. So then our aircraft would land, and uh, I went to Australia many times and to uh, South Africa. And once our aircraft landed, then the big 16-track uh, tapes would be unloaded, off of the aircraft, and we'd put those in a travel pod in a jet fighter, and it would fly nonstop back to Houston uh, in flight refueling along the way. So it was quite a quite a, a program and a lot of speed of core. It's an interesting way to get data back to Houston. You know, these days people just think, well, how come you didn't send it on the Internet? <laughs> <laughs> We didn't have one back then, so that was all we could do. And I mean, it was uh, it was quite a privilege to serve in that as a young man. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Now, I you know that we have to explore this. Uh, how are ice cream and manufacturing related, Jerry? That you, you've got. <laughs> I mean, this would be great for our listeners because this is kind of a cue in Jerry's bio, but apparently there is. A relationship between ice cream and manufacturing. Before we take this any further, I need to know what's your flavor, and then you can flavor, and then you can tell the story. Uh, well, I have two. I have uh, pralines and cream, and then chocolate almond joy. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it goes back to when I was a little kid. My father always insisted on having a gallon of ice cream every Sunday. And so when I was little, I sat on it. As my siblings uh, left home, then I had to make it. So uh, I fooled around with different recipes and so forth, and uh, I was just making ice cream all the time. And, uh, you know, giving away, had it for parties and et cetera. So then uh, I saw a thing on PBS about um, ice cream school at Penn State, and I said, well, I'm going to go. So I went to ice cream school. They've been doing it for a hundred and something years there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I went up there, and uh, it was two weeks, two weeks of class. And I was there with all the big guys, you know, Bluebell, Briars, all of them. 
they had people there, and we learned how to make ice cream, which is basically just fresh ingredients and real ingredients, real sugar. And uh, so I came back, and I had not been back one week, and the best ice cream machine that I could buy was for sale from a shop and went out of business because they didn't know how to make ice cream. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I bought I bought every, all the equipment in the shop and have it in my house, and I make ice cream, and I don't sell it. I just make it for, so people can enjoy it. You still do it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, we had a big uh, group of people, Fabricators Manufacturers Association, came to to our facility, and uh, at the end of the tour, I served everybody ice cream. So. <laughs> well, great. I've heard of I've heard of payoffs before, but that's that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jerry, I'm glad to see in the materials that you submitted to us. Uh, Manufacturing process improvement and the word kaizen, which has kind of disappeared since the Deming days. Uh, it, it sounds to me like you are still applying that to Metcam and their manufacturing operations. Oh yes, we have a full-time lean champion, uh, and he is constantly in different activities, uh, and we always oh gosh, we probably do seven kaizens a year, which is a lot. But then there's also other supporting work simplification projects that are going on. So we're very big on that. So for our listeners who are young and millennials, can you uh, right. kind of can you kind of describe uh, in uh, elevator pitch format the Kaizen philosophy? Uh. Yeah, we we bring in, uh, well, first of all, an executive team meets, and we decide where we need to have Kaizans. And uh, the team votes for the lowest hanging fruit, obviously. So then uh, (laughs) we set a date for it. It's it's a five-day event. Uh, We start off with the team members, bring them in. Uh, Upper management has very little involvement. It's all driven by the people in the Kaizen, the actual uh, team with leadership from our lean champion. Uh, And they go through, look at work simplification, waste, and when they finish on their fifth day, they do a report out to the management team, and we go and review what they've done. And uh, it's been a fantastic philosophy and practice, really. Well, it's interesting that you're listening to those folks. Uh, Those folks often struggle to get heard by management, but those companies that do this, Jerry, always report back, wow, we just learned so much from our boots-on-the-ground staff that does this every day that we just weren't aware of. Oh, yeah. I mean that's always exciting inside a inside a company, whether it's Metcam or uh, a large manufacturer or even the small shops can apply it. Exactly, exactly. Now, it's, it's it's very you're, simple. You're lean champion. Uh, you know we've we've heard uh, a Six Sigma of lean. I wonder if you could explain lean a bit to our listeners and what your lean champion does. Well. 
we're always trying, it's basically eliminating waste, all the different wastes that wasted motion, wasted time, wasted materials, um, wasted machine time. So we're trying to zero in and uh, eliminating all that. We become more efficient. We make better parts. Uh, all, all of this is uh, with the intention of, of cutting time, enhancing quality, and giving our customers a much better product. It's all in the I, I presume that you are also ISO uh, registered? Oh, yes. We're 9,000 and 14,000, 14,000 being the environment. Ah, good, good for you. When you implemented that, I, I would that came about in the early 90s. I don't know when you did it, but uh, did you find that you had any uh, employee pushback on the implementation of a program that really – changes and makes the employee base document literally everything that they do. So is there much of a pushback on that? Oh, in well, there's days? always a push pushback on change. <laughs> uh, people just don't like to change and it, it works. Uh, uh, it works that way. Yeah, we had a lot of pushback and uh, finally um, we got our registration. It took longer than we wanted it to, but we did it the right way. We didn't hire consultants to come in and do it for us. We did it all on our own, mm. and uh, we're much mm. better off for that. Also, the 14,000. Actually, the 14,000 went smoother because people could see up front what the good is because um, it's, it's when good we- stewardship. When we implemented uh, ISO uh, at All Metals and Forge Group, which is where we earn our combat pay, um, we implemented it in 94. And there was a fair amount of pushback, which we sort of expected. But the day that we received the certificate, the registration in the mail that day, and I, of course, we told everybody that we were now official. And that afternoon, I'll never forget, there was uh, one salesperson in particular who got an inquiry from a customer and says, listen, I need to buy XYZ, and here's the specs, and here's this, and here's that, and it must come from an ISO-registered company. And this was 1994, and there may have been six people in the country (laughs) that were uh, registered. And when he got a, a $75,000 order that afternoon because we had the registration, that completely changed the method and, and uh, mindset of everybody in sales at that moment. So it was a, it was a great incentive. Wow, that is, that is a good story. Jerry, environmental stability, uh, sustainability is always near and dear to our, to our hearts. What are the biggest changes you've seen implementing lean and uh, ISO 14,000 in terms of environmental stability at MetCamp? Well, we, we always have projects going on at MetCamp for that. We, we try to get with our customers, and um, we do a lot of work where 
they may do some assembly to it and so forth. We try to use the same containers they're going to use. We try to recycle skids. Uh, we have a good program on that. Um, we Anything that we can do um, for that, uh, we're into it. We just recently uh, started uh, recycling our cardboard. Uh, we had tried to do that some years back, but you couldn't get anybody to really come and get it. Uh, even for mm-hmm. free. So uh, we just got in with uh, Pratt Industries, who does all of their cardboard is recycled. So that's a that's a good thing because we're we're selling to them and then we're buying back recycle, and we're really proud of that. Uh, that just recently happened, actually. Oh, that's great! Uh, I, I didn't realize it's Pratt Industries. Is that right? Yeah, Pratt, and they're all over the all over the world. P R A T T Industries. Right. I often see their uh, CEO sending out messages on LinkedIn that I I think yeah. I follow him on just to see what's happening. So I'm glad to hear that, and I would certainly invite him to to join us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We'd love to talk to Pratt Industries about what they do. Uh, oh, I Jerry, think it'd be a great story. Yeah, I'm sure it would. Uh, you've got a great story. Anything else you want to share with our listeners, particularly as it pertains to, um, you know, where Metcam has been, where it's where it is now, and you know, you you've become more competitive in the marketplace. You're growing in the marketplace. Uh, you know, maybe some encouragement of directions they could go. Uh, yeah, actually, our our last. Um additions of machinery and that whole plan about three million dollars worth of equipment that all came in and it was augmented with a whole different manufacturing philosophy we went from a lot of overtime um, and a lot of labor to actually a savings of almost six hundred thousand dollars a year in labor uh, that's included wow. overtime uh, by having this machinery i've got two lasers that run 24 hours a day they're manned 24 hours a day and um they run along with the panel bender and the automatic tool change press brake the culture is now such that uh i need less people to keep the machinery running uh we also when we bought the new machinery I went out and bought, uh, like, red flashing lights that you might see on a police car or whatever. But anyway, I bought some red flashing lights, and each each machine in the facility has a switch, and they turn on that switch to so it illuminates, and uh, that means that they need to be fed or relieved. Uh, that's how I, my terminology is. So... Uh, Sometimes I'll go out there and I'll have four red lights, and I have two guys on forklift that are feeding and relieving machines. They're all required to have the next job there, not to go look for the next job. Um, we may have stacks of skids at our automatic tool change press break, and he just goes from one job to another to another. And uh, it is absolutely unbelievable. We've gone from having late deliveries to shipping early. So uh, it's been a fantastic story, and it was a it was a pretty good sizable 
culture change, and uh, it, it took a while to get people in line to do what I had planned or what I envisioned. And it's it's really all about getting rid of bottlenecks. Uh, you want to you want to create bottlenecks so you can resolve them. Uh, so I take all of my manufacturing capacity now in the punching and laser and bending, and now I've got bottleneck maybe in welding or hardware. And those those are good things because I'll resolve that problem. Then I'll go back and find another bottleneck. You see, and that's what makes it so much fun. So as a uh, close to a wrap up, wrap up of this segment, and we haven't really talked much except for the fact about it, is the Georgia Manufacturer of the Year. Uh, when was that, and who was the organization, and uh, how did that all come about? Well, that was uh, we won uh, our local county uh, about three or four months earlier, and then. Based on our county, we were nominated um, for state, and that was the governor's award. It was presented by the governor May of last year. Nice, nice. And did, in the, in that process, do they come through to see what you do and how you do it and the things that you've done to improve your company to make you the Georgia Manufacturer of the Year? Uh, yes, uh, that along with the recommendations from the county, who had spent quite a bit of time there also, but yes. Oh, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So I, I congratulate you, and the only thing better than being the Georgia Manufacturer of the Year is if you're the Georgia Manufacturer of the Year two years in a row. Oh, well, that would be quite a, quite, a, quite a reward, I can assure you. <laughs> well, Jerry, we appreciate you being on with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio, and I was uh, thrilled that you brought up the, the cost savings you experienced, the uh, overtime savings you experienced, the efficiencies you experienced, because this is where manufacturing needs to be in the 21st century. And on top of that, anytime a company can save those kind of dollars, they can grow. So I'm guessing that you might have more employees now than you did 20 years ago? Oh, Lord, yes, for sure, yes. And that's the big myth. When everybody looks at uh, things that cut costs, they think I'm going to lose my job. They look at robotics, they think I'm going to lose my job. Just the opposite is true. Manufacturing, manufacturing grows anytime it becomes more efficient, and it gets frozen anytime it's less efficient. So I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. We've been speaking with Jerry Ward, who is the co-owner and vice president of operations at Metcam, Inc. They are located in Alpharetta, Georgia, and they do all kinds of metal fabrications. You can get a hold of them at www.metcam.com, and you can shoot Jerry an email at jward at metcam.com. Jerry, once again, we enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to any new things develop at the company, or if you become a two-year-in-a-row Georgia Manufacturer of the Year, let us know. That would okay. be a real Thank thrill. You. Thank you. Well, Lou, Lou, these are the kind of companies that we enjoy talking to because they're actually boots on the ground. These are often untold stories uh, that you only hear if you're 
you know, kind of going to the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, or you go to the ISM conference where we'll be, uh, I think it's next week or the week after, you know, that's when you hear the stories, but it's all good news. Yeah, it's fantastic in that, uh, uh, the the evolution of the people that are in manufacturing that you and I have learned about over the last uh, uh, five, six years, seven years, is that whether you're young or old, uh, there are people out there that are so dedicated to their uh, mission of uh, manufacturing, being that it's such an important part of our uh, economy, and so much so important to the people that work in manufacturing. Um, and, and, of course, we have skill gap issues today. But I think that there's a lot going on today to fill that problem. And, uh, you know, I, I tip my hat to all the people that we talk to. Yeah, they've done a terrific job of bringing manufacturing back to life in this country. It's done more hiring the last 18 months than it did in the previous eight years, so it's really booming. Uh, we hope that continues, and our friends in the federal government don't do anything dumb to screw it up and crash an economy that's booming. I'm going to leave that statement alone because I, I could go on for another half hour. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> Um, just to let all of our listeners know, we have a complete library of all of our shows at mfgtalkradio.com, and we've built quite a library of excellent information at our sister website and podcast, Women and Manufacturing, which I think is still at womenandmfg.com. You can check that out. We also have Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, another show. We've got a couple of new shows that losing development on so some very exciting stuff always stay tuned and find us at mfgtalkradio.com and again thanks for listening to this episode of manufacturing talk radio thanks for joining us on manufacturing talk radio you can hear our next broadcast each tuesday at 1 p.m eastern standard time at mfgtalkradio.com This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.